Welcome to this week's podcast from Suncoast Church. We hope that this message inspires you and helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. We hope you enjoy this message. Can we appreciate our Waihai team? And uh, in particular, Stephen and Ashley, our youth pastors, who are... by the looks of that year, probably we'll need a good Christmas holiday and a Christmas break. It looked exa- I feel tired watching the video, let alone living the year that you've probably just lived through. Um, well, good evening. How are you all tonight? Yeah, and how's the rest of you? Yeah, good too. That's good. Yeah, my name's Brendan. I'm uh, one of the guys from around here. And yeah, we are at that point in the year staring down. We, we're seeing recap videos of the year already. If you didn't realize that we're sort of signing off the end of the year and starting to get everything in order, we're here. We're getting there. And, and right now, tonight, we're at the end of a series we've called Make It Count. Make your life count. Make the moment count. Make your relationships count. Make it count. Make your gifts count, whatever's in your hands. And tonight, I want to cover the topic about making your work count. Can everyone say work? <laughs> work. Uh, and if you're a, like a note-taking kind of person on whatever notepad or device you have, you could put at the top of it, work, the, the great exchange. The great exchange. That's what I've like titled this message. I even have slides for those of you who are slide people who, who care about that sort of thing. So let's they're coming? Yeah, good, we're here. Work. I, I've had a, an interesting like, series of work kind of things, jobs you might say. I started out like my dad is a, was a carpet, well, he's a farmer and then he was a carpet cleaner and so I was cleaning carpets. My first, my high school job was as a dishwasher. Anyone else who started out as a dishwasher somewhere? Yeah, anyone still washing dishes? Good, it's important. Uh, the best thing about that job was that like everyone in the kitchen takes pity on you and brings you food to eat. That's what they did for me. They, the way to my heart is through my stomach. Uh, beyond that, I, uh, I uh, have worked uh, at church. I've worked um, for a church. I've been paid in ministry. Uh, I've done lots of different volunteering for church and others. I've done volunteering. Uh, I've worked for a ministry or a non-profit. At times, and now I, I, I work currently, I work for a remote tech company um, in a quote-unquote secular job, some people might call that, everyone else would just call it a job, um, and, uh, and I, I do that, do that full-time, um, but I also, like, I'm, I'm on the leadership at this church, I help out here, I'm a, I'm a volunteer here, and uh, interestingly enough, you are likely to spend somewhere between 80 and 100,000 hours of your life working. You know, like when you, when you get to the end of your life and you were to look back at and to summarize huge chunks of your life, I think after sleep, the next greatest thing you will spend time out will be work. More than you eat, more than you talk, more than you socialize, more than you listen to music, more than you study, more than you read, more than anything. You will, it will be the greatest active thing you do for your whole life, the biggest chunk of time. Now, a recent study in the United States found that more than half of all people were unhappy, unhappy with their work. Imagine that being unhappy with the biggest, biggest thing you will do with your life. 
So what is the, what is the point of it all? I mean, you've thought about this. Like, what's the point of, of our work anyway? I mean, is it that I, I work a job that I like just enough so that I won't quit, that I make just enough money so that I can survive, so that I can get just enough stuff so that I can retire and buy a caravan and go caravanning around Australia until I die? I mean, is that what it is? I mean, am I, am I working so that I can buy a bigger house, um, so that I can get a slightly bigger house, so I can get a better job to pay off that bigger house or, uh, or a better car so that I can, you know, make more, you know, uh, am, I, am I working so I can keep up with the Joneses, so I can move a career forward, or, um, you know, what, what is the, the point? Is that the story of work? And you could quite quickly start to become pretty cynical about this idea of what, what work is or what a job might be. I'm using, you'll notice I'm kind of using those words differently, and we'll get to that in a minute. But what is the point? I mean, I've got slides, if you keep the, those slides up, what is the point um, of it all. What is the point of our work? Um, if, you, if you start to get cynical, the picture doesn't get nice. And then you start to think, well, beyond that, what, um, what should I do about this? I mean, is it that um, this modern consumerist capitalist society is kind of poisoning us all? Like, uh, is it that, um, you know, I, I just, I'm a slave to the rat race. And so what I need to do is I need to escape. I need to go to a, uh, I need to go out to Kilcoy, out to some hippie commune um, to get off the grid and, um, you know, and live a life without this, this kind of concept of career and work and all the shackles of modern society and capitalism. Is that what I need to do? I mean, do I need to, um, or do I do, if it can't be, them? Do I join them? Do I join the rat race? Do I be the biggest rat in the race? Do I get ahead of the Joneses and make money and do the thing and become successful and be, um, be a career person or work hard? Is that what I should do? Or should I quit it all? Should I start volunteering? Should I be Mother Teresa? You know, should I quit and, and do Bible college, be a pastor like the, the important job? Hey, John, I, I joke about that. Um, should, should, I, should I do that? What what should I do about this conundrum that there is the greatest thing that I will do, the biggest chunk of time that will occupy my life, yet it is so easy to not understand what we should do with it, why it's unfulfilling, why we can be unhappy, and, and what are we even supposed to do with that time anyway? Because many of us have a very, very differing situations when it comes to work. Some people don't have a job, some people are studying, some people tend to be stay-at-home parents, some people are retired. Well, how is this supposed to interplay? Some people hate their job, some people don't know what they want to do, some people have a hard time getting a job, right? Like, when you start looking at all these things, what are we supposed to do to make work count? Because you see, work really is the great exchange. Work is the time we exchange, the life that we exchange for the lifestyle we want how much of our life we give up in working so that we can have the kind of lifestyle we want. And there is like a very poisonous version of, of, of that equation. But generally speaking, we all will do something that looks like work in our lives. So to try and understand what God says about this, what the Bible says about work, I, I want us to go to a story of a man in the Bible, and his name is Joseph. Can everyone say Joseph. I'm going to look at Joseph's story to understand what the Bible says, what God says about work and what we can learn. Now, if you're not a, you're not a Christian here tonight, you're not bought into all of this, trust me, you'll find this very, very thought-provoking at the least. And I think there might be a few good pieces of advice that you could glean from this. If you, if you here are a Christian, you are bought in on this, I think you could discover a bit about what God has for you, um, for your life. So let's talk about Joseph. Now, 
uh, Joseph comes at sort of the last 10 chapters of Genesis, and uh, he uh, is a, uh, a biblical character. That I, And what I'm going to do is, I'm not going to read like all those 10 chapters, I'm actually just going to give you a quick summary and then dig into some of the important parts, because otherwise I think it's about half an hour. So let me give you a recap of Joseph. Joseph is was the 11th son of a man named Jacob. Jacob's name could also have been uh, Israel, it was changed to Israel, so you think of modern-day Israel, and uh, Joseph was one of his 12 sons. He was the 11th born of his 12 sons, who would be the 12 tribes of Israel, who would be the Hebrews, who would be the the Jewish people, right? Joseph is the great-grandson of Abraham, so Abraham's great-grandson. Uh, and Joseph is born, and he, uh, he is, for better or for worse, the favorite son of his father, Jacob. Now, that's probably not um, advised parenting strategy. If there's one thing I know is a bit, as a parent is you have to pretend not to have favorites. It's really important that you do that. Uh, and that you can't let your... And if you do, you, you, know, you can't let your kids know, because what happens is they'll start getting jealous. And what happens is Joseph was the favorite, but he was like his dad even gave him a special coat as if to mark it and say to the other 11, this one, hey, you guys, this one's my favorite one. You guys are all good, but this is my favorite son, right? So this creates a lot of animosity in the family. The brothers are sort of hating each other. To make matters worse, Joseph's a dreamer, am I right? You know, he's dreaming and he has these dreams where his in, in like symbolically, his brothers and his parents are bowing down to him and make things even worse. He tells them. So he tells his brothers and his family that, hey, I had a dream that you're all bowing down to him. So they hate him even more to the point at which um, his brothers are so annoyed at Joseph, they decide to kill him. One brother has enough common sense to say, hey, let's not kill him. We won't make any money that way. Um, let's sell him, right? So he has decided to sell him. So they, they kind of tie up their brother, they throw him down a well, they pull him out, they sell him as a slave to, to a group of slave traders heading down to Egypt. So um, Joseph's life goes from being the favorite brother with brothers that hate him. All of a sudden, he's a slave in Egypt. He's a slave in the house of a guy named Potiphar. Can everyone say Potiphar? Uh, and he, uh, he kind of works his way up in Potiphar's house, actually, even as a slave. He's framed by Potiphar's wife uh, and ends up in jail. So now he's in jail. So things have gone from bad to worse for Joseph. He's now in jail. He uh, gets the opportunity to interpret some dreams of a few other prisoners there um, as he's working in the jail. Uh, and eventually, word gets out to Pharaoh, who'd been having dreams, uh, that Joseph could interpret them. And he interprets some dreams for Pharaoh. Joseph is recognized, becomes second in charge of Egypt, brings his family in, the family, the brothers that sold him, um, brings them all in and kind of saves his family in all of Egypt. Pretty impressive story arc. They should make a movie about it. Uh, so that is, that's the life of Joseph. Now, what can we learn from that story about work? Now, I've got three points. Everyone put three fingers up in the air, say three. Uh, I've got three points, just to make this easier. If you're a note taker, this will kind of help the process of, uh, of kind of remembering what I'm going to talk about tonight. And point number one that we can learn from Joseph's story and from the whole Bible is that you are made to work. 
They say a person dreams at night about what they think about during the day. And Joseph, in his dreams, was actually even dreaming about work. The first mention we have of Joseph is that he was managing the livestock of his dad, bringing a report to his dad. So Joseph is like a manager, managing livestock. Uh, Not only that, after he gets sold into to be a slave... He is so good at being a slave that he gets promoted to be the head of that house. When he got framed and put in jail, he is so good at working that in jail, he becomes the head of the jail. Joseph is a worker and he was made to work. But lest you think it's just Joseph, when we look in the beginning of the Bible... In Genesis, God creates Adam and Eve. You may have heard of this. He creates uh, humanity and Adam and Eve, and He has them in the garden, and He gives them sort of roughly four commandments. And here's what they are. He says, number one, be fruitful and multiply. Number two, fill the earth and subdue it. So this is the idea of going forward, being productive, going out, not retracting and sitting still. So be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it, right? So start to take control, start to, um, start to build, start to construct, start to be productive. Um, number four, have dominion. Not domination, but have dominion, which is to say, um, start to cultivate, you know, start to bring good into the earth, right? Uh, and then number four, to tend the garden and to keep it. So, so these commandments that God gives to Adam and Eve, and symbolically, I think, gives to humanity, are that we are made to work. We are made to be productive. We are made to be resourceful. We are made to be constructive. We are not made to sit around in hammocks. Even at this point, Adam and Eve, um, uh, they hadn't sinned yet. So if you're kind of familiar with the story, Adam and Eve rebel against God, and um, the kind of this division between God and humanity forms as the very start of the Bible. And, and they're kind of in a mess now. But these commandments to be productive were given to them before they made a mess. As in, everything was perfect. They had nothing to worry about. They were with God in the garden. Everything was perfect. They had no needs. But God still said, hey, you're not here to sit on hammocks, right? You are here um, to do some work. And I believe and I have seen that it is innate within us as people that we are at our best when we are constructive, when we are bringing good into the earth, when we are productive, when we are doing things uh, with our time. Now, the idea of a career, of KPIs, of a LinkedIn profile, of a job description, and all these kind of things, that, and a 38-hour work week, these concepts are about five minutes old as far as humanity goes, right? These are these modern concepts that are plonked on top of the idea of work and productivity, right? So um, God didn't sort of put Adam and Eve in the garden and say, all right, cool, here's um, how you're going to lodge your time for this task and that, and here's your billable hours and whatnot, and this is where you need to study, and this is where you'll get a diploma or a degree and do these kind of things, right? And this is where you'll pick your mortgage up, right? Like these things that we, we, we all live with those things. Those things are very real, don't get me wrong, and we live in a world built around these things. But they're not concepts that are applied and were built into the Bible, they're very, very modern. And so we have to try and um, dig through this and understand, right, that God has called us to be productive, to be fruitful, to multiply, but some of the concepts that go around it aren't very helpful. So what is work? What I want to put up on on the screen is like, what I would say is like somewhat of a biblical definition of what I found work to be. So what is work? Work, you could say, is any intentional and positive activity to produce or accomplish something. Do we have slides? Yeah, cool. Um, Any intentional and positive activity 
to produce or accomplish something. It represents constructive or creative effort, not deconstructive, constructive or creative effort, serving someone, demonstrating mastery over nature, and neither confined to the secular or the sacred. So what, what I want to do is we think about this. As we think about what is work, I just want to bust three myths, three things that I often commonly thought, who's a Mythbusters fan around here? Who's a Mythbusters hater around here? Good, we're in good company. Um, we're all, it helps for everyone. Um, I have three myths about, myths about work that I want to bust. Myth number one, your work is your job. Myth number one, your work is your job. Let's think about that. I, uh, I go to a job, like you know, five days a week, I'm there, um, I'm there, um, and you know, it's a funny experience that I have. My wife, she works two days a week, she looks after our kids a few, few days a week as well, and often on the days when she's not working, and I am working, right, um, me a couple hours into the morning, I'll check in, hey, how are you going? She's like, yeah, I've just been teaching the kids to swim and teaching them to read and, you know, working through some big moral dilemmas with them or something like that and, like, doing these amazing things, teaching my kids not to drown and to build moral foundations in life and to educate other human beings. And I'm like, whoa, I've literally just been checking emails and mucking around, right? Like, <laughs> I'm like, at my job. Because we can get lulled into this idea of thinking that your best work or even all of your work is your job when it's clearly not the case. Some of the greatest work you will do will not be in your job. The job is a pretty modern construct and they are important and you will work at your job, but the idea often conflating the two can get us in a lot of trouble. For number one, it puts a lot of pressure onto your job to be everything. Right? Like, my job has to be like my calling. I have to feel fulfilled. I have to get a lot of money. I want to feel significant. I want to feel like God is using me. I want to feel like this is my calling and I just grind at this and it's awesome, right? Do you know how many people who have those jobs? About 12 people on the planet have, the, have a job where everything of their life, every piece of calling and everything that satisfies them as a human being can be fulfilled in their nine to five or whatever. It, whatever it might be. Now, many people, many people who do great work, who do great things, who are productive, who are fruitful and multiplying and having dominion over the earth, who are fulfilling God's calling for their life, don't even have jobs, right? Many people are out volunteering, stay-at-home parents, people who are retired, who are enormously productive and bringing so much great into the earth are not at a, at a job, right? And sometimes what it can do is it puts too much pressure on your job to be everything to you, when it may not be. The job, you know, sometimes may be a little bit boring. It may be tasks that you don't find, um, you know, that particularly interesting. And sometimes you only have a job for six months or a year, or you move career paths, and things move around a lot. People have all sorts of jobs. And then conversely, people feel that the work that they're doing, if I'm not at a job being paid for this, that it's not valuable, when that is clearly not the case. Some of the greatest things that I do in my life, the greatest work that I find that I do is not even at my job. Like, like here's an example. Right now, I'm working. Me, right? right? Because I feel that God has given me um, a, a talent. Let me, talk, let me talk about me for a second, right? I'm up here. I've got the microphone. You can listen. Um, I feel that God has given me a, uh, the ability to, to try to speak and, and create sermons, right? And that's the thing that I do. Now, I, I don't get paid for this as a volunteer thing, and it takes me a lot of time. These beautiful slides take 20, 30 hours per slide to get right. I mean, it's pixel by pixel. That's how I spend much, you know, not really. Um, but 
I spend a lot of time and effort using what my God-given abilities are to serve the church that I love and to feel in my calling, and I enjoy it, and I love it, and it is not my job, but it's my work, and I love this work. It's some of the greatest work I'll ever do. Some of the greatest work I ever do. I'm a dad. I have my boys. Sometimes my work starts when I get home at the end of the day. When I'm, when I'm with my boys, when I'm teaching, when I'm jumping on the trampoline with them, when I'm, in, when I'm investing in them, when I'm caring for them, when I'm caring for my wife, when I'm mowing the lawns and keeping my house clean and servicing the car, whatever those things that I might have to do as a, a man, quote unquote, um, this is some of the greatest work that I'll do. And for many of you, you may need to start reconsidering what you have thought of as work. Many of you have not started even down the career trajectory. You might still be at school, you might be at university, but let me tell you this, you are already working. And, and, and let me just say this, and maybe a few people in the audience, tonight, dare I say it, you haven't finished working. Work has not, you've not clocked off yet. There is plenty more. You may not have a job. Some people listening may not have a job, but you have plenty of work to do. Plenty of fruitfulness, plenty of calling, plenty of God's gifts that need to get out of you and into the world, that need to be released out of your life. Plenty of people doing all this stuff, positive activity, serving someone, creative, constructive, all the things that you could do to get from within you the giftings and the things that God has given you that need to get out. God has made them to get out, and it may not be at a job. It may be. But it may not. For many of us, it's, it's, think broader. A job is part of your work, but your work goes far beyond. Myth number one, that your work is your job. Can I hear an amen for that one? It's point number one. This is 1.1. We are really early in this sermon. How long have we got? All right. Um, myth number two, a job out in the real world is somehow sort of divorced from God. That somehow I have a secular job that God has nothing to do with it. It's just something that I separate from my life. Let me tell you this. When, when you, and if you become a Christian, what that means is to, is to surrender your whole life, being, and everything, your will, over to God. That's what it is. It's not a half in, half out. It's not I give God my Sundays and something like this. It is all in when you come to God, including your work. Your job, your work, your everything that you do is God's. And so even a, a job that you are at that may feel mundane, may feel not, like God has you there for a reason. God has you in your work, in your volunteering, whether it's home, whether you're retired, whatever it might be, whether you're studying, whether you're at school, whether you're volunteering, whatever it might be, God has you there on purpose, right? And He has you in that place and He has spiritual things, spiritual aspects for you to do there. It's not that you clock in there and you somehow clock out of God, like you actually are there as His servant. Because point number three, let me go to the myth number three, that somehow being good at my job is ungodly. There's been this kind of weird idea that like the important stuff, the important work is somehow inside the church and inside just, you know, God and ministry kind of things. That, the church has often said that. Not this one. Actually, this church has been very good at that. But some churches have often had this idea that the important stuff doesn't happen out there. It happens, 
you know, in here. Now, what actually happens in here is extremely important, but it's much more about equipping us and training us and releasing us to get out there to let your light shine in dark places. There is a lot of light going on in here right now. It's blinding the amount of light in this room. You actually may be called to be out in a secular job, out somewhere, being good at your job, showing off how good God is through who you are, right? That people would look at you as a Christian, as a godly person and say, she is is awesome. She shows up early. She leaves late. She's trustworthy. She works hard. You know, she is in, in, you know, she's intuitive. She's creative. You know, she, she just dominates the workplace and she could, I could load her up with responsibility. Success just follows her or him wherever they go. For something about them, there is like a spark of creativity, of ingenuity in them where they work hard and they are excellent at what they do. Don't even know what it is, but there's something about them. And that should be all of us, that we are called to do whatever we do as unto the Lord, that God has put you where you are to be excellent, that you should be so good. If you're a teacher, you should be the best teacher. If you're a student, you should be excellent at that, right? If you are a builder, you should be so good at that. People should say of you, he does a great job. He is excellent. I can trust him with everything. He is made to do this. There's something about him that he, whatever he does, it's like he's dripping gold everywhere, right? That is, that is the calling that God has for us, right? It is a myth to think that your job is the only work you'll do. It is a myth, a myth to think um, that somehow a job in the secular world is unspiritual or divorced from God. And it is a myth to think that I don't need to be God. I don't need to be good at my work. I don't need to be excellent. I'm, somehow I'm saved. I'm a Christian. It's all fine. I'll just be lazy at work, and that's fine. Uh, 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 no, 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 no. There is no room in the Bible for for laziness, laziness, for lackluster behavior. The exact opposite. The exact opposite. The Bible encourages us to work hard, to be good at our jobs, right? That is a three myths. So what... Yeah, yeah, cool. Thank you. For, for, I'll take a clap for that. That's good. That clap kept going. I appreciate that. Number one, you, you're made to work. You're made to work, and your work can be much greater than your job. Let's go to point number two. Point number two is to be faithful right where you are. So Joseph, we look again at Joseph. He, uh, things go from bad to worse for Joseph. He's already fighting with his brothers. He ends up in a well. They throw him down a well and pull him out of it. Oh, yes, I'm being saved. No, 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 you're actually being sold as a slave, right? So now he's a slave all of a sudden. So things are getting worse, right? Um, and what does Joseph do while he's a slave? He works hard. He is faithful. At the point where he has every excuse to get, throw in the towel and say, this is this is ridiculous. I, I was the favorite son out there, like ready, ready to inherit my father's, you know, I was going to inherit probably the whole lot. The other 11 weren't getting anything the way he loved me, right? And, uh, and, and now he's a servant, he's a slave. Now he gets framed all of a sudden, he's in jail, things are worse. But what does he do when he gets to jail? He works hard. He's ingenuitive. He gets handed the reins to the jail. They put everything under him. And the Bible even says that the Lord was with him and made him prosper in places where he really, really shouldn't have. We should have every excuse not to. Do you know that you and I are not necessarily called to success? That's kind of a heavy thing to say. So let me try and tease that out a little bit. The calling on our lives, if you're a Christian, if God has called you to what He's called you to, has not necessarily called you to be successful, to be rich, 
to be loved, to be popular on Instagram, to have all the markers of worldly success, He has actually called you to be faithful with what you have, right? That God has placed you where He's placed you, with the gifts that He has around the people that are with you, and He has not necessarily called you to look around at the world to find out what success should look like, but to be faithful with what you have right now, with your work, whatever it might be, with your boring job, with your studies, with what is in front of you, with what is in your hands, God has asked you to be faithful, all right? But here's, the, here's kind of the problem. You say, Brendan, you know what? That's, that's great. It's a good kind of moral lesson. Thank you for the, the guilt trip there for me to be grateful about my life. Um, but here's the problem. I don't like this very much. I'm not particularly satisfied uh, with my job, with uh, my studies, uh, with my career prospects, with the opportunities around, with the gifts God has given me, with where He's put it. I don't even want to be like living here, right? And sometimes we can be and are in that situation where we are not satisfied, not fulfilled, not satisfied, not enjoying, not liking where we're at. It's easy to say, be faithful with where you're at. You're like, cool, yes, I grant that, but I actually don't like this, I'm not enjoying it. It's quite the problem. I, I think the great, it's not magic, but one of the greatest solutions to that, to being content, to being satisfied, to being fulfilled with where you are, is to recognize that God has you right where He wants you. That God has you right where you are. The only, you know, the only exception to that might be if you are, quote-unquote, have run away or are, are, are directly you know that you are running in the opposite direction to where God has you. It's possible that you're in that situation and you definitely will not be fulfilled until you, you run back in the direction he, he, he has for you. And it's never too late, ever, ever too late to run back into the calling God has for you. So let me tell you that. But if you are there, it's recognizing God has me here on purpose. He has me in this place. Because if you know that God has placed you here on purpose, you'll be satisfied with where you are. If you know that God has given the gifts and talents He has for your calling, you'll be satisfied with who you are. And that if you know that God understands all of your needs and that He is your provider, you will be satisfied with what you have. You could be satisfied with where you are, with who you are, and with what you have if you understand that you are walking in the providence of God, that He has called and put this for you. The greatest problem with our satisfaction is generally not because of anything between me and God and what God has for me. It's actually to do with everything around me that I'm consuming. If I am spending somewhere between one and five, ten hours a day consuming media, social media, Facebook, Instagram, movies, Netflix, everything I'm binging and listening to and scrolling on, if everything I'm consuming is, is, is pushing into my mind these expectations of what worldly success and how I should look, how I should dress, how much money I should have, where I should live, what I should be, I should look like her, I should have what they have, I should have a job that that person has, I should make the money that they have, I should live where they live and we start to, what happens is our mindset, our expectations are being crushed with everything around us and they're shaping us and what they're doing, they're making us disappointed with where we're at and unsatisfied with what we have, right? And it's not because of God, it's not because of us. We are filling our minds and absorbing a cultural idea and a set of expectations that are causing us to be depressed, right? Here's why. In a consumerist world where all of these things and all of them are driven by money, they're not there for your good. Anything you binge, anything you scroll, anything you download, they're not there to help you. None of them. Not a, they're not there to help you. 
They're there to make money out of your eyes, right? To keep you pinned, to keep your eyes pinned to a screen, to watching, to, you know, they want that. And you know what the best driver for, for, money, for people to buy is? Dissatisfaction. Discon, un, being being dis, un, discontent, uncontent, discontent with what you have in your life will drive you to spend and to buy. And that's what they need. So every message is about putting a high bar in front of you. If only you had this, if only if you looked like that, if you had this going on, well then, and then we buy and we buy and we're unsatisfied with our lives. And if, if you are in the place tonight where you feel constantly dissatisfied with what you have, the first thing you should do, I, I'm going to tell you this, this is challenging. Rather than start thinking, starting to say, well, my life just sucks and everything is stupid. Rather than thinking that thought, start thinking this, what, where are my expectations all coming from? What am I absorbing? Because if you're spending, um, you know, 10 times as much time scrolling and watching than you are, say, reading the Bible or listening, listening to God, no wonder, you're, no wonder your mindset is so far away. No wonder you're disappointed. No wonder you're unsatisfied when everything you're consuming is painting a picture of something that you will probably never have and God doesn't have for you anyway. You're smart, we're all smart enough to know that it is an absolute lie to think that if only I had this, if only I had a little bit more money, if only I had that job, if only I looked like that person, if only I lived there, if only I had that opportunity, then I would be happy. We're all smarter than that. We know where that goes absolute lie to think that. Some of us need to spend less time binging, less time scrolling, more time with God, because when you spend time with God, what happens? You begin to trust Him. You trust His providence. You trust His will for your life. You trust the giftings. You say, God, okay, God, I can, I can start to see. I can see what you have me for. I can see why you made me like this. I can see why I live here. I can see why you've put me here. And you start to be satisfied and content. Oh, I can get it now right? Um, and, you st- and you begin to trust God and see things His way rather than constantly being bombarded and painted by everything around you. That's, just a, great, that's a great point right there. Dissatisfaction, man, it's, it's, a, it's a killer. Not, not only that, I mean, I'm going to dig into social media a bit more in a minute. Like, we, we become dissatisfied with our relationship. You know, it's, you know, it's funny about social media. It's one of the greatest drivers for loneliness, Great research is clear. Research is clear that there's a very a strong correlation between high levels of loneliness and high consumption of social media, right? But here's the problem. What does that loneliness drive us to do? To check in again <laughs> and then feel more lonely, right? And this is real. This is real. You, if, if you are on that path in that cycle of loneliness, dep- depression, these kind of things highly linked to social media and addictive, being addicted to these things, uh, read a book called Digital Minimalism. It will change the way you think about these things. It's just a side point. Some people need to do that. But otherwise, check some of your habits because they could be driving your feelings of dissatisfaction or loneliness um, because of, of these things. Those apps, the social media, they're not there to help you, not there to help anyone. Right? That's not what they're there to do. Um, okay, I could go on about that, but I won't. Point number three. Point number one, you're made to work. Point number two, be faithful with where you are. Be satisfied. Be faithful. Um, do good with what is in your hands. I should just say this as well before I get to um, the point number three. Um, your current season is not a stepping stone. That's right. I don't know how many times I did that through life, just treated my current moment like a stepping stone. Oh, I'm just here for now. Like I'm just filling in time. I'm just doing, it's just a job for now. I'm just, uh, I'm just doing this until I can sort the next. I'm just here until I can move somewhere. I'm just at uni until I finish. I'm just at this job until I get the next one. I'm just in this, with this group of people until I get to cooler people or something like this, right? Seeking the next. It's real. You, you are where you are on purpose. God has called you where you are right now. And, and this is it's a great piece of it. 
absorb, live in this moment that you are in to the, to the goodness of God, to what He has called you to. Don't treat it as a stepping stone, like there are bigger and better things coming. You don't know that. You could be in the greatest season of your life right now and you're missing it. Imagine that. Imagine if Joseph was in prison and he was like, ah, oh, this is hopeless, I'm giving up. Right before Pharaoh come knocking at his door to pull him out of prison to be the second in charge of the greatest kingdom on earth. What if Joseph gave up in his season there and wasn't faithful? Jail, be faithful with where you're at. You never know what's coming next. Could be, you never know. I look back at some of the seasons in my life that I thought were a stepping stone. Some of the greatest things I ever did. At the time, I thought I was just biding time. But you know what? I can see what God was doing in my life, and it was great. Cherish the season you're in. Don't, don't walk past it quickly, okay? Point number three, you're not your work. You are not your work. So Pharaoh comes to Joseph. Let's go back to Joseph. Pharaoh comes to Joseph and says, Hey, I can hear you can interpret dreams, right? Um, and, and, G- and this is what Joseph replies to him. Are you ready for this? He says, I cannot do it. He says, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Joseph was so secure in who he was that he didn't have to associate himself. Oh, yes, I'm the dream, I'm the dream interpreter. Yes, I'm the amazing person you've heard about. Um, he was so secure that he could even let God say, hey, it's God that's going to do that. Um, there's an amazing quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones, once put it, um, you know, this is many, many years ago, he said, there are whole cemeteries could be filled with the sad tombstone. Born a man, died a doctor, right? He was having a dig at doctors for saying that they, they, they start out as normal people, but eventually they get so absorbed in their role, their work, and what they, their job and who they are, that that becomes them. Like, who am I? I'm a doctor. It's pretty even normal in our society right now to say, hey, tell me about yourself, and you just go, bang, this is my job, my job title, right? And we see good job titles. I'm a student, I'm this, I'm that, and we even see good job titles. i tell you what's not a fun time to be in sometimes is when you have a, a bad, boring-sounding job, or you're between jobs, right? That's an annoying time to introduce yourself to people because you feel like you've, you don't have much going on. When I met my, uh, my current wife, I was like, I was literally between jobs and all her family, her mom is meeting me and saying, what, like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm kind of in between jobs right now. Like, you know, but I tell you what, it's the greatest thing. It's the greatest thing for you. You should try this. Try, eliminate a good job title if you have one and go with a terrible one because it will teach you to stop pulling all your meaning and self-worth out of what you do, right? It's poison to do that. You and I are not our jobs. You and I are people before God with callings that are go greater and far beyond. Don't limit yourself with a job title. Sometimes it is the worst of people. If you have a great job title, it's easy to roll with that. But then we start to, we absorb in that, right? And it can do enormous amounts of damage. It goes to, it can go, you know, if you have a great job type, you're good at it, you begin to build your security on that, your foundation on that. When that gets ripped from you, it will tear your world apart, absolutely tear you apart and be the hardest. But often, people who build their identity around their jobs and around their work, I tell you what, one of the implications they often have is they have trouble resting. Why? Because when you rest, when you stop work, what you're actually doing is it's like you're pulling back and you're handing control of your affairs away from yourself. And as a Christian, I would believe it's handing it over to God. And people who have trouble resting, often for one or two reasons, number one, because they, um, they're so wrapped up in their job that if they start to rest, they cease to exist, right? Or secondly, maybe they just don't trust God enough. I don't trust God, I don't trust enough to be able to rest, 
But God clearly in the Scriptures, He commanded His people, say, six days you work and one day I want you to rest. And it was a much scarier proposition for them at the time. And kind of like this, you know, agricultural subsistence, hunter-gathering kind of lifestyle, um, you know, they didn't have woolies trading on the weekend. They didn't have fridges that could keep their, their, um, their food, you know, cold and fresh for them. They had to gather what they had for the day and trust that on that day of rest that they would have food for that day and that they got up the next day that they would be able to find more, right? But this was God saying to them, I want you to trust me. If, if you have trouble resting, switching off. And I believe it's commanded by, it's commanded by God to, to read. God calls it the Sabbath. Six days you work, one day. We've even got two. The problem is we don't rest on either of them, right? Like, we don't really rest. We just do different kinds of work on, on our weekends, right? I guarantee you, you would only need one day of rest a week if you actually rested. If you have trouble resting, because I guarantee you will not make your work count if you don't rest. You can only go so long before you burn. Students, everyone at every age, I'm telling you this, you must learn to find rest and to trust in God. And, and let me give you another, let me just harp on about, so I've been harping on about social media things, let me just keep going. Um, rest is actually not this, right, like, and, 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 and binging stuff, right? You know why? Let me tell you this, this is quite modern, this is only months old, uh, maybe a couple of years old, you know that you have what is called in your, in your brain the default mode network. That's what it's called, the DMN. And it's a, it's a network of interacting brain regions that, that is active when a person is not focused on the outside world. So when you stop focusing on the outside world, it turns on when you're in a state of rest. It's really important that it turns on. So, and you know, and it's, it's to do with being so often when we're social, it's on as well. Like social, being social is often quite restorative. But do you know when it turns off again? When you do this, right? When you get on a screen. And many of us, what we're actually doing with our quote-unquote rest right now is we go to binge something, we scroll, we're sitting on phones, sitting on this, that, or the other. And you know what it's actually doing? It's making you more tired. It is doing the reverse of rest for you. I'm telling you this right now. It's one of it, this will be one of the best things you ever learn is that if you want to rest... If you want to replenish, don't binge, don't scroll, find solitude, even you know, find space away. Being around people is great, is wonderful. Some people don't always um, connect well and have rest time with other people. Some people like to be isolated, but whatever works for you, screens tend not to work. Screens tend to make you worse. They give you the feeling that you are, um, but, but it's, it's not, it's not true. It turns, like, that, that, this is psychology. I'm not talking about like, Bible, I'm talking psychology will tell you it's not helping you. It's not helping you to find friendship. It's not helping you to form good opinions about the world. It's not helping you to set healthy expectations about your life. It's doing a lot of damage to our whole... We are all running a gauntlet right now. Our whole world is running an experiment with phones and devices, seeing if we get through the other side. And I'm not that optimistic that it's going to work out that well for many, many people. Learn to rest. Learn to seek God. Learn to be restored by Him. And that way, and in that rest, in that time away from your work, whatever work could be for you, we talked about that a lot, whatever, in your rest, away from work, you do begin to rediscover that you are not your work. This is how we begin to to find out who I am when I'm not working, when I let go and let God have control. I say, God, this is you, this is yours. You're made to work. 
be faithful in the season, be satisfied knowing God is for your purpose. And remember, don't wrap your, we, don't wrap your identity around your work. It's very dangerous. If, if, however, if, if I was to finish this right now, I wouldn't have really delivered any really great news. There's a lot of good ideas there, but it's not really good news because you could think that after all of this, that what the key take home for this is I need to go and I need to work harder. I need to learn to rest harder. I need to get myself disciplined, work out. I need to be faithful. I need to be satisfied. So many things that I need to go and do. Like, Brendan, this is great stuff. And you could load up your back and start to pull on things that you need to go and do. But that is not the Christian or the gospel message, actually. The Christian message is that God has already done all the work that you would ever need to do, and He has done it for you. It is the greatest exchange. He exchanges His work for ours. Because you know what? You and I, like, we're not that good at all this stuff. We're not that disciplined. Sometimes we're not that hardworking. And we can spend our whole lives working to try and impress God. Say, God, here's my work. Here's me trying to do it. Here's all my stuff, God. Am, am I worthy, God? Will you save me? God, is this, this is all for you, God. And God's saying, no, 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 that's not, no, 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 that's not it. That's not it. I have done it all for you. Jesus came for us. He lived a, a sinless life for us. And he was crucified on our behalf for us. And he did all of the work for us so that you and I could be free, could be forgiven, could be restored. And then what is our work? Your work is now a response. You exchange your work for his. His work paves the way. And my work now is that I know that I'm saved by God. I know that I'm restored. I know that there's nothing I can do to earn his favor, to earn his grace, to earn. There's nothing you can do, right? So it releases the pressure. You're not working for God so that it impresses him. You're working because God has saved you. And he loves it. Of course, he takes great joy and pride in your work and all that you do. But you're not doing it so that you can be saved. You're doing it because you've been saved. And so many of us have a working with a burden over our heads. Caught up, trapped, thinking that we're working so that God will, will save us, thinking that we will save ourselves. Christian or not, Christian or not, people are working like their life depends on it. But God has done it for you and He can set you free and you can know what it is to have God, to surrender your life to Him, to know His forgiveness and your work can then become a partnership with God, bringing good into the world, joining in the mission that God has and the church has to bring good into the world, to be productive, to love people, to bless people, to bring justice to a world that desperately needs it. And God has important work for you to do. The person sitting in your chair right now, you, God is not disappointed in you. He's not disappointed in your work. He knows where you are. He has a calling for you. There's important things for you to do, important people for you to bless. The work is not finished for you. But that work is not there so that you can impress God or somehow earn your way to heaven. He has done all the work already. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were encouraged by what you heard and inspired to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. Hope you can join us again on the next podcast or here at Suncoast Church.